Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North, and today I wanted to just go over five games that happened yesterday that I think are notable and worth going over. A few good shout-outs for some players that had great performances. Some interesting things to go through, some controversial moments. But I want to start with this whole entire Chelsea thing, this massive debacle that seems to be breaking all corners of the internet right now. Um, not really that extravagant, obviously, but within the football circles, within people interested in the Premier League and watching it, you just get this feeling like everyone is so quick to assume that they know exactly what's happening next. There were so many people that said, if Chelsea lose to Leicester, Lampard is gone, done, period, end of story. He's still here. So now they're like, oh, well, now, you know, it's only because there's three very winnable games. If he doesn't win all three of those, he's gone. A lot of people have been saying that. And I just wanted to, first of all, if, if you're interested, there is an article on ESPN by Gab Marcotti where he outlined some interesting ideas as to why he does not think that this is actually so imminent as so many people think. Now, a few things to keep in mind. First of all, yes, Chelsea do have this notorious record ever since Roman Abramovich came in of sacking managers quite quickly and sometimes in situations where it didn't seem like the right decision. I, I think my number one is Carlo Ancelotti, right? Wins a League Cup double in his first season. In the second season, they're flying until October, and then they go through a rut. Very similar to what's going on now. They couldn't get results. Things were breaking down. The play didn't look good, and his job came under real pressure because everyone knew the way Abramovich was working at that point. He turned things around, and they went from being, I think, sixth or something to actually being in a full-on title charge. And they made it to the semifinals of the Champions League. I mean, they, they really were having a great end of the season and ended up totally empty-handed, losing to Manchester United at Old Trafford, in a, really the title decider. And Ancelotti was immediately sacked because that was it. But when you looked at his two full seasons in charge, there was only about a four-month period where things weren't going well. And they dug out of it. And even though he did that, they fired him. I think Roman Abramovich has learned some of those lessons. And I disagree with me or not, Chelsea haven't actually sacked a manager midseason since Mourinho the last time around. Where, by the way, at this stage of the season, they were one point above the drop zone. Okay, You can talk all you want about how many points they have now compared to then, whatever. It was a different league. And they looked terrible at the time. I mean, it was so much worse than right now. So that's why they got rid of Mourinho. But Sarri, Conte, these two stuck around until the end of the season. And the whole time, for like the last four months of the season, you knew that they weren't sticking around. You knew they were gone once the season was over. But they didn't get rid of them and just bring in like Goose Hiddink or Avram Grant or, you know, some old head that used to be around that is kind of trusted and liked. They didn't do that. Now, that, so that's important to keep in mind. I think they will stick with Lampard until the end of the season, as Gab Marchetti says, pretty much unless things go completely awry, unless like a top four finish is looking very bleak. And maybe it will. Who knows? The other thing that he mentioned was he may be getting more time on the whole, everyone's like, oh, there's 200 million pounds spent. It's not working. Well, let's first of all break that 200 million down. Kai Havertz costs 78 of that. That's an enormous amount, okay? All the other signings that they had do look like good signings. I agree Timo Werner's going through a bad run. 
But you look at his record overall and what he's actually capable of, it's not a bad signing. Hakim Ziyech, no one really disagrees that the guy's really good. Okay, Chilwell, I think, has been a really good success. Tiago on a free has been great. I don't think they messed up most of those signings. The one that looks like a mistake was Kai Havertz. And when you heard that Frank Lampard was talking Declan Rice, Declan Rice, Declan Rice, and that's what they seem to be going for, and then all of a sudden Kai Havertz is the one that comes in, and you look at him and you're like, where does he really fit here? With this style of play, with this formation, where does he really fit? And that's the problem. I don't know if Kai Havertz fits at Chelsea, at least under this current system and style of play. Now, that doesn't mean he's playing, being played out of position, and that's why he's struggling. Let me know. I've heard some people saying that Frank Lampard is deploying him at center defensive midfield. What are you watching? Like, what game are you watching if you think he's playing the central defensive midfield? He's not. He's being deployed mostly as a 10 or an 8. And he's supposed to be a 10. You know, I've heard people from Germany, ex-pros, coaches being like, oh, well, Kai Havertz needs to be in the penalty area. That's where he's most effective. I don't see him running in the penalty area trying to get on that many crosses. But more than anything, Kai Havertz is struggling at basics. Like, I'm not trying to pile on him or hate on him. He's an exceptionally talented kid. But he's having a very rough time right now. He's turning the ball over in very simple situations. He looks slow in thought and speed on the ball. And he just makes a lot of basic errors. Those are not things that Frank Lampard should have to coach him into knowing how to do. That's what a 78 million pound player should walk in and do easily. And then how much impact on the game is something that they learn. He's just struggling to do basics right now. So it's hard to put that on Frank Lampard's back. And especially if Frank Lampard's whole biggest priority this whole time was Declan Rice. So now you ask yourself, well, who at Chelsea pushed harder for Havertz than Declan Rice. And if it wasn't Lampard, then Roman Abramovich may be thinking, I can't hold this Kai Havertz thing on Frank Lampard because he made it clear he wanted Declan Rice over him. If that's the case, then that's a totally legit reason. So, look, I, I, I think that's something worth keeping in mind. I don't think Lampard is gone unless things really go off the rails. But they're losing to teams that are better than them for the most part. Like, that are playing better than them, that are in a better run of form, higher in the table. That doesn't mean that these teams are actually better than them. I think they sh- they are underperforming, but I don't think they're in a disastrous situation. So that's just the thing I want to chime in on. Check out that article by Gab Marcotti. And really, also, people, stop saying Kai Havertz is playing central defensive midfielder and Frank Lampard is using him in the wrong ways and positions. Like, Take a look at the way he's performing right now. It's just not at a standard that should get you into any team. But Frank Lampard's sticking to him. He's playing him. He's trying to support him in the press and everything. You know, kids just got to start playing better. So we'll see. Anyway, moving on to these games that I watched because there were a few really, really good ones. And and there are some interesting narratives that happened. First of all, Chelsea women against the Man City women in the Continental Cup quarterfinal. Crazy match. It was also funny because it was raining so hard it actually sounded like there was a crowd. (laughs) because that's how hard the rain was lashing down on the buildings. So that was pretty interesting. Melanie Lupos scored a great volley in the first half. Um, And then to give Chelsea a lead, second half, Man City turned it around. Awful mistake in a build-out by uh, Chelsea's goalkeeper, Berger. She threw it straight to Magdalena Eriksson, who was a little too advanced, received it under pressure. Chloe Kelly robbed her of the ball and had a really smart finish. And then in the 85th minute, Man City looked to have won it. Won from a goal mouse scramble off a corner kick. 
But four minutes later, Niam Charles, young girl from Chelsea, scored a ridiculous goal. Guru Wright and chips the ball up to her. She's about 16 yards out, central penalty area, chests it, turns, volleys before it hits the ground top corner. Amazing goal. Sends the game to extra time. Guru Wright and taps into Bethany England cross to put Chelsea up 3-2 in the 95th minute. And then in the 106th, treat yourself. Go look at the highlights of this. Sophie Engel with a left-footed banger. Just a rocket. One touch, 25 yards out. Top corner. Thank you. Good night. 4-2. See you later. Really, really impressive. I, I, I think Chelsea, they have a pensions to struggle in the last 20 minutes of game. Something that I think a lot of teams see in them. But what's interesting is when they're given an opportunity to regroup and get going again, this team is they are better than everybody. It looks like they're going to win the league and they could go and win a cup and they want to get for the Champions League as well. So good luck to Chelsea. Yeah, loving it. All right. Uh Little note on Real Madrid, who went ahead and lost to a Segunda B side. This is fourth tier of Spanish football. They took a lead. And I mean, I know they had a young side out there. They also had some experienced heads who were on the field and then came on the field. And they lost 2-1 in extra time. And they were a man up. I mean, they lost to Alcoyano, who were down to 10 men when they scored the game winner. So, really, really bad situation for Real Madrid. I mean, I know in cup games anything can happen. That's the magic of cups and everything. But put Zidane under a lot of pressure because the team just doesn't look like they have a real, like a point of attack. It looks like Kareem Benzema is going to be your best option to score. And that's because he's just playing in the form of his career. Other than that, you're hoping Sergio Ramos can save you late. I mean, it's... Yeah, it looks tough for Real Madrid right now. Juve beat Napoli in the Italian Supercoppa. Uh, it was not a great game, but guys, I, I just don't think Napoli played very well. And I think Juventus did everything they needed to do. They were professional. But I'm going to go ahead and give man of the match in that to Weston McKinney. He was excellent, so dynamic, made runs all over the place off the ball. He was an, eight, an eight, number eight to the tee and played a 10 out of 10. I got to give Pirlo a lot of credit for signing this guy. I mean, in, in Italy, we know that there's always kind of been this idea that Americans are not good. That's why Antonio Conte felt that Sebastian Giovinco, while he was lighting up the MLS, was just not good enough to join the Italian team because he felt Bleh. And so there were, there's always been that. And it, it's obviously changing. But this is an amazing example that a guy like Pirlo liked Weston McKinney enough to feel like he would come in and help. And he has been solving problems for Juventus. So that's really exciting for any American. Um, this young class is coming up good. But there were a lot of people thought Christian Pulisic was really all there was and then everyone else was fledglings. No, Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig is playing incredibly well. And then Weston McKinney, really impressed with him. All right, Fulham Man United. Fulham, impressive again. They've been playing very well. Again, I, I really do think this is a side that if they can perform like this against teams around them, they'll get the results they need to stay afloat. We'll see. Cavani has been an excellent signing. Okay, this is this. I just want to mention this whole number seven thing. People are like, oh, previously it was Alexis Sanchez and he was a waste of money. And then they go down this line of players that were number sevens who were bad. And so therefore Cavani's coming in as the new expensive number seven who's going to fail. 
please, people, stop taking some symbol and some other stat that are unrelated, put them together and say, see, this is what's going to actually happen. I can predict the future with a number and, uh, well, you know, a, a past history of people who have worn that same shirt. It's it's stupid. Stop. <laughs> Cavani's been incredible. And he always was going to be really good. The question was, were things going to work? Was he going to be played in the right system? Solskjaer is doing the right things with him. Players around him are giving him the service he needs. He's scoring goals. And now Paul Pogba. Okay, if you're a Man United fan, I can totally sympathize with your frustrations about him. Because when I watch him play, I'm always like, man, it's a good thing he's not on fire. Because they'd be winning the league if he was. If he played the way he does for United that he is for France, it would be a different team. And we're starting to see that. I really do love Paul Pogba, the way he plays. He's always been a player that I hoped would achieve Ballon d'Or type status. And I think he's... Just not done it yet, especially at the club level. So to see him performing like this and score these these absolute rockets is great to see. Especially if you're a United fan, this has to be awesome. And I want to give a quick uh, nod to Ruben Loftus-Cheek. What a performance. I mean, 8 out of 10 for sure. Would have been a 10 had he just gone ahead and either gotten an assist or the goal that would have been the equalizer. And the, the unfortunate thing is he had the chance to do either one. He had his own chance to score and he had one or two chances to play in a through ball that would have led to a break, a one-on-one break. At that point, you know, you look at Ruben Loftus-Cheek's performance yesterday, absolutely awesome. As a Chelsea fan and a guy who has wanted to see this dude break through for years, he looked like everything Chelsea are missing yesterday. So kick on Ruben, keep on going, improve. We'd love to see you back at Chelsea next year. All right, final game was Man City Villa. Now, before before Bernardo Silva scored, I was ready to call this the most nuts, exciting nil-nil I've seen in a very long time. Because it was unfathomable to understand how the ball was not going in for City. They created such a litany of good chances. But also, there were situations where they did everything right. And somehow, the ball got blocked off two people, bounced, and just didn't go in. So you knew a goal should be coming at some point. And then the goal gets scored, all right? Bernardo, Bernardo Silva scores it, and it during the goal celebrations, I could see the Villa players were incensed, and I was like, what are they upset about? Did they think Tyrone Mings got fouled by Rodri? And then they show the replay, and I'm like, it wasn't a foul. I don't know what they're upset about. And then finally, the commentators tell us VAR is checking a possible offside. I'm like, where? And then I see Rodri's coming back from an offside position. Now, I played central defense for one year in university. And I can tell you right now, if I had done that, I would most absolutely certainly have assumed it was my fault. Because Tyrone Mings settles the ball with his chest, players come in from behind him, settles it with his chest, and then turns into Rodri. Look, the pass to Rodri was not a pass. It was a header from midfield. He was... 15 yards away from the play. It was not intended for him at all. As he's creeping up, someone for Villa has to tell Tyrone Minks, clear it. You got someone on your back. Instead, he chests it with someone coming up behind him and then turns straight into him. For me, you're, gripe, you're, look, you're grabbing at straws to ask for offside there. You made an error. You know, and then Dean Smith saying, well, you know, what are we going to have? Players standing offside, waiting for a ball. Uh, This is weird to me. Like, think about it through yourself. I just don't see the logic of, you know, coaches and teams and players employing a tactic where you 
get yourself offside and risk being called offside, play the ball in their direction, but make sure it's short so the defender gets it, so you're giving away possession on purpose to then try and steal it back from behind, which more than likely you're going to foul the guy. It's it's a tactic that won't seep into the game because it's totally inefficient and makes no sense. So I thought that was weird to um, to cause up such a stir about that one. But it gets even worse. The next goal, they're complaining about the handball as if it was such an egregious thing where he did the ball is a yard away. How can he stop? I mean, his hands are here. Like, I feel bad for Matty Cash. I do. You're running, you know, it's 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 just not easy for players. But at the same time, you made a save with your hands up here. I mean, I'm not saying he had his hands stretched out, palms open, but I just don't see how you don't get that call. Like, I looked at that and was like, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if I was in his position, I would know I'm in immediate trouble. Whether I agree, whether I think I'm being harsh, I would just know that the odds are someone's going to call a penalty here. If that's what you know in your mind, it probably is one. Why complain to this extent and say that the laws of the game on the handball are totally off when we all know we've seen far weirder decisions this season on that basis? So, look... I think that it's interesting how much we try to pick apart these VAR decisions. And I think the fact that they got involved, looked at it, and said, no, this is a clear goal based on the laws of the game, which say that when Tyrone Mings received it, that's when that's and controls it, that's when the offside is negated. It's over. Now, I did also see a situation kind of like this in the River Plate and Palmeiras game. And so, look, the way the referees interpret the laws, I think we should allow more goals than take goals away, especially if 90% of the people watching didn't think offside when watching it, and mostly Villa fans are the ones that really have a problem with it. So, yep. Sorry, Villa, uh, but I don't think you deserved any anything more than a valiant loss from the game because Man City put so many shots and chances together they completely deserved it so look I hope some of this was fun useful again check out the women's game they keep serving up classics they're very good if you watch these top teams and on we go to another day of games Liverpool against Burnley today that one's coming up in a couple hours for me so definitely interested to see how they Liverpool react after now apparently they've been found out and there's just no way of winning the title i also want to go ahead at some point if i can to do um a little bit of a season prediction mid-season prediction for the end to talk about who i think will win the top leagues in the champions league go out on a limb for something right thanks for stopping by this is campfire football have a wonderful day